1: encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk860, and womentowatch.net. Uh, if you're listening and uh, you would like to join us and uh, call with some questions, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can do so by dialing 888- 329-3306. That's 888 329 3306. And as always, be sure to check out our website for all things related to the show at womentowatch.net. That is women, the number two, watch.net. Uh, so I'm going to get right to introducing my very, very special guest this afternoon. Um, she's calling in, I believe, from Washington, D.C., and her name is Shalmina Abji. Shalmina is an empowerment speaker. She is a former IBM vice president and a current board member for Girl Up and the United Nations Foundation, as well as Young Women Empowered. And I'm thrilled to have her this afternoon. Shalmina, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much for having me on. I am thrilled and honored to be on your show.
1: Well, I'm excited to have you and uh, very appreciative that you're going to take an hour out of your very busy day to share what I consider to be a, a truly inspirational story. So I'm excited to get started. Uh, are, am I right? Are you calling from, from D.C.?
2: I'm actually the state of Washington. We used to oh. have two homes, one in Washington, D.C., and one in Seattle, Washington. Okay. Oh, and you're far. I am, <laughs> yes, I'm from calling from Seattle, Washington.
1: Okay, well, it it sounds great. It sounds like you're you're right here in Philadelphia. Um, so, just to kind of set the tone for our listeners, Shalmina, I would love for you to talk for a few minutes about um, your background and where you came from. And I know that you were you were born in in Tanzania. And you spoke uh, very openly with me and also in some of the uh, speeches that you have given uh, about your mom and dad and um, how you were poor growing up, but yet uh, mom and dad were so incredibly um, focused on education for you. So tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up in Tanzania and also the uh, influence that, that mom and dad have had on you.
2: Yeah, thank you for that opportunity. You know, now that I don't have my mom and dad living, this has been something that I have been pondering over a lot and really, really grateful because, you know, Susan, in terms of the United States and the wealth that we have here, we would definitely have been considered poor. But I never really thought of myself poor when I was growing up. We had enough food to eat. And we had a lot of love and laughter in our house. We didn't really own anything in the sense of the material world, no TV, no phone, no car, four brothers and sisters in the same room um, sleeping. Um, But we always had food to eat. And a lot of the people that I also grew up with had that same kind of socioeconomic status. And perhaps that was the reason why I never really considered myself to be poor or different. I always considered myself to be grateful because I had so much love and so much laughter, and we had great
1: food. Oh, you know that's I, I love that because I I have said to my kids since they were born, um, or asked them, I should you know, are you warm? Are you fed? Are you loved? You know that that's pretty much the ultimate, right? i i agree and sometimes
2: i think when we have access to and exposure to the way others live and we start comparing ourselves with them we make our own lives miserable because Mm. then we want something we don't have
3: that's right and
2: to you know inspiration is one thing if you see someone that has something that you want and you are inspired by it that means you have accepted what they have. uh, And that's a good thing.
3: Mm.
2: But feeling less just because you don't have what somebody else has, that's not a good thing. Mm. It's almost, you know, I I tell people that when you accept the success of others, you are inspired by them. Mm -hmm. Unacceptance of their success makes you jealous. And that is
1: not a good way to be. No, no. Um, And and you know what, Shalmeen, I think that young women in particular um sometimes struggle with that um that feeling of being less than and comparing comparing ourselves sometimes it takes a uh, you know years to get over that yeah. it sounds to me as if you had a, a sense of confidence and security from a very very young age
2: a sense of security yes a sense of confidence not so much
1: okay well, you know, I want to talk to you about it being 15 years old and leaving home um, yeah. to go finish high school. Uh, tell me about how difficult that must have been for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Susan, leaving home at 15 was actually less difficult than leaving the country at 18. So let me, mm-hmm. let me tell you why. My mother had a brother who lived in the capital city of Tanzania, called Dar es Salaam. And as you mentioned, where I grew up, 10th grade was the highest level of education I could obtain. So I had to leave home. And even though we didn't own a phone, I was going to a familiar family, my mother's brother. I grew up with an extended family, mother's brothers and sisters and their children. And we were just this one large family. And so going to Dar es Salaam to study at 15 was not as difficult because I knew I was going to my uncle's house. And, you know, because we sense extended families as our own families, it wasn't a question of having to pay to live there. You know, I just basically lived there um, for nothing. There was no expectation. And frankly, if there was, I couldn't have afforded it. Um However, when I left Tanzania to go to India to obtain a college degree, that was scary. That was very scary because now I'm going to a new country, and um, I've never been out of the country I was scared to even walk by myself because growing up, I used to watch Indian movies and you know, there were always
3: these <laughs> walking
2: around, you know, lurking yeah. in the woods and a, a pretty young girl would be walking and then you know what happens next. So <laughs> I was really scared. I was really, really scared. I, once I got into the dorm and in the campus of the university, for weeks I wouldn't leave because I was scared to walk outside. So, yeah, very scared, didn't own a phone, couldn't communicate with my family because they didn't own a phone. And so I'd have to write letters <laughs> which would get to them 2 weeks and they would write mm, back.
3: Wow, wow. So that good. was
2: that is where I overcame my fear actually. Uh because I had to get so fearful to a point of recognizing that this was all in my head. Mm. What was it, was it all like? all in my
1: head. Yes, uh, you were in Pune in India. Um, Pune, yes. In Pune. Or Pune, yes. Pune, and how, what's yes. the community like there outside of the university? Was it oh, safe? Oh, it's a and- very
2: large city. Okay, so when I studied in, in Pune, this was 1978, uh, it was mostly a military type. City. It was well organized. It was. Uh, they had many universities. It was, but it was a large city uh, compared to where I grew up. Of course, I was there earlier this year, and now it's what I call a humongous city. Mm-hmm. Too many, people, too many, too much traffic. Couldn't recognize it. But it was a, it was a large city. So for me, coming from a very um, secured, protected little town into that environment was very, very scary.
1: Mm. Um, and at that age, I guess you were, do you, was, is it 18 when you go? It, yes. Okay, yes. Same, same as in the U.S. Tell me, you, you uh, got your bachelor in uh, science degree in, in mathematics. Correct. Okay, tell me why did you study, why did you decide to do that as your major?
2: You know, thank you for asking me this question because I didn't decide. I I actually had no idea what I wanted to study. No one in my family had obtained a college degree. I didn't know anything about college. I just used to get good grades, and I wanted to obtain a college degree.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: In Tanzania, because we were a British colony, in seventh grade, one has to decide whether they're going to pursue arts or science and back in those days anyone that was smart would pursue science and so you kind of decide make a decision at a very young age whether you're going to go for commerce for arts or for science so i went for science and i applied for a bachelor's of science degree Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and you know i i i'm not going to say i was really good at all the subjects but i work hard i apply myself so i was good at anything i studied Uh, physics chemistry math biology and that's how you start out in the first year you study quite a few science subjects and then in the final year you have to decide to take one and really I could have done physics I could have done chemistry I could have done biology I could have done math Mm -hmm. I just picked math and really had no idea why I did math I I wasn't really beginning with an end in mind I didn't know that really you could you should obtain a college degree with which you could then have a job. I was just so naive. When I think of myself at that age, Susan, I was so innocent and so naive in so many ways, and yet a risk taker because I left my country to go obtain a college degree.
1: That's right. That's right. And so, it's something else that is. Very impressive to me about reading your story is there's a, there is a theme of you um, working to help pay back your parents and also for your yes. tuition, and um, I, I read that you brought back and sold clothes from India yes. to help pay for yes. your tuition. So that to me kind of you know shows a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit in you at a young age.
2: You know, and at that time I didn't realize that. Of course, at right? that time yeah. it was. The necessity, yes, um, because I missed my parents so much, and the only way I could go see them was obviously to afford a plane ticket. And how was I going to afford a plane ticket?
1: Yeah, right. So, well, you solved and, that problem,
2: so, right? You I solved that problem you because did. my desire to see my parents, my family, was so strong that I found a way.
1: Yes. So let's talk about the moment that you picked up a magazine and yes. you read an article about computer science. I, I wanna know what, there's so many things around the uh, this, the study of computer science, and what was it that really sparked your interest and got you excited?
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, there isn't a sexy story here, frankly. I was reading a magazine in 1981, IBM had just announced the PC Junior, And I was reading that anyone that is good at math can learn how to program computers, and there were lots of jobs. So really, you know, after having recognized that I just studied for three years, and now I don't know what to do with myself, I need to study something so I can get a job. It was literally getting a job Mm -hmm. that drove me because, you know, for someone in my situation – it's about putting food on the table.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you and were just so getting practical. A job, yeah. Looking really at a... it. was
2: practical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Oh. So it's not like, oh, it was my passion and I was inspired by something big. It was simply to get a job.
1: Yeah. I, I love that you say that so honestly because I think that sometimes our, you know, our journey is about a lot of practical decisions that eventually lead to a passion right? So I think there's sometimes um, pressure on young people to figure out, you know, at a young age what their passion is, and that's often very difficult to do.
2: I agree. I I couldn't agree more, Susan. I work with so many young girls, and the messages they are getting is follow your passion, follow your passion. And, you know, I'm sometimes this voice that says, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You only know what you know today. You're 15 years old. You're 16 years old, You know, explore, explore Mm -hmm. and do things, and you will find out what you're good at. But I also speak with a lot of young girls that are um, in my situation where there isn't much money, and I give them guidance to make sure they study something that will enable them to get a job. You have a whole lifetime to follow your passion, but you've got to have the means to feed yourself first.
1: That's right. Yes. <clears throat> um, when I was reading about um, adjectives that describe you, I read these three: optimistic, smart, and stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Where I, did you read that? From? I read that somewhere. But you know, first of all, all those three words—optimistic, smart, and stubborn—I think those are. Just three um, very powerful qualities for a leader, and I I wonder which one of the three would you say is the number one that has helped you, um, you know, become a leader? Because you are, you are a leader today. Is it the optimism? Is it the intellect? Or is it that you just will not give up?
2: Um, The optimism and the fact that I will not give up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I am. I am the person that will find opportunities in problems. I, I am just naturally inclined to to find opportunities. Uh, I am eternally optimist.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. So, so really, it's my sense of optimism that um, that has enabled me to get to where I am because I nothing really stops me. I have no fear because. I feel like there is a better something. Mm-hmm. Things are going to be better. Things are going to be better, and I work towards towards that. Um, yeah. So, by the way, <laughs> great. I would not describe myself as smart per se, um, because you know when it comes to IQ, I, I never took the IQ test. But, um, but but I but I do recognize my limits, and I surround myself with some very 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 smart people. Um, But I'm very optimistic, and I am very determined. And if there is a way to get from point A to point B, I will find it.
1: Yes. Um, Let's talk about, so you you came to the United States and and went to Wisconsin. Uh, University of Wisconsin, La Crosse uh, is the the full name. How did you come upon that decision? Why that school?
2: You know, again, there is no sexy answer here. Um, I... Wanted to study computer science because there was a job. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew nobody in the United States. My f- brother had a friend who was going to University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. Okay. And my father said, I would like you to go there because should something
1: happen to you, he will call me. Right. There you go. Well, that's the, right, that's the answer. Someone there could look after you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, okay, because, you know, I uh, – Susan, you have – In 1978 there is no internet yeah Um, even in when I came to La Crosse uh, 83 by the way I had to take a a small break because (laughs) we had together two thousand dollars for my plane ticket and my first uh, first uh, semester's tuition Mm. so I come right away you know 81 is when I graduated I decided I wanted to get a degree in computer science but Mm. I came in 1983 and and you know I didn't know that there were Ivy League colleges. I didn't know that you know I I was yeah we're now going back to smart. I guess I yeah I was one of the the, the highest ranking person in our country. So you could say I was smart. But but um, uh, but I didn't know that I could apply to to all these colleges. I, I just I didn't know anything.
3: Yes.
2: And so I said okay I will go to the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and. Since I know nothing about computer science, I am going to apply for a bachelor in computer science. Not knowing that I have a bachelor's degree, and I could have applied for a master's degree. But you see, I was I was going
1: around my life, going about my life, half blind, literally. Well, I was. Well, I would say you were exploring as well. You used the word exploring at, at the yeah. top of the show, and I love yeah. that word. I think we should always be exploring. When you look back, would you say? Are you someone who says, you know, things happen for a reason, and I was meant to be at that school?
2: Absolutely, 100%.
1: Wow. And why why is that, do you think?
2: For so many reasons. The first and the foremost, Susan, is remember I came with $2,000. And that $2,000 would have been finished in the first year that I was there. In a place like La Crosse, at a university that is small— I was able to get a job. I was able to not only get a job at the computer center making $3.30 an hour. I was a standby. So whenever someone called that they couldn't make it to work, I would go. I paid for my own college tuition. Otherwise, I did not have the financial means to do that.
1: Uh, wow. Okay, so how were you able to do that? Because you worked 30 to 40 hours a week, and you were in school full-time. Correct. How, there's Correct. only so many hours in a day. How did you do that? <laughs>
2: Correct. Not only was I in school full-time, I was studying computer science and mathematics, double major. So oh, it wasn't, my gosh. It was not a simple, uh, uh, what do you say, walk in the park? <laughs> right, right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and the other thing, Susan, is after the first um semester, I got an in state um scholarship, meaning that I was able to pay what the in state people in Wisconsin pay, and so my tuition was not one that a foreign student pays, which is three times as much at that time
3: mm-hmm. and
2: that that would that basically finished my all the money I had in one semester
3: mm. Mm-hmm.
2: But after that, my tuition got reduced, and I was able to work 35, 40 hours a week. And I loved working on the holidays, um, <laughs> you know, because I got time and half. <clears throat> yeah, and then when I celebrated, I went to McDonald's to get a meal. That was my <laughs>
1: <favorite>. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> well, it's, so would you say that most of your time was either spent between, you know, studies and, and the classroom and work? Um, as, were there any other activities you were involved in?
2: Um, no, there was no time. Okay, I mean, there you was know, no that time. That was yeah. the beginning of me learning to prioritize. That was the beginning of me learning to understand what needed to be done now and what can wait.
1: Mm. So, upon graduation, uh, tell me how your first job, I believe, was, was with a company called ETA Systems? Correct. Okay, and uh, how did you get that job? Did you was there a referral? Was there someone um, at the university that helped you with that? Or was it something that you um, came to on your own? So,
2: you know, when I graduated, first of all, you know, lacrosse is not your Ivy League college where too many companies show up to interview students. However, I mean, it's much better now. I mean, I'm talking about when I was graduating. But it was known for its computer science program. So overall, it was not that great a reputation at the time, but it was known for its computer science program. So a few companies came on campus to hire, to recruit students. However, all the companies that came on campus were looking for someone who already had a green card or a a US citizenship. Uh, And so I was just basically disqualified before I could even apply because I was a foreign student, what I had was one year's practical training visa, meaning that I could work in the U.S. for one year because if I went back to Tanzania with a degree in computer science, there's nothing I could have done because this country was not advanced in computers. Mm -hmm. And so there used to be, and there still is, a conference called ACM, ACM stood for Association of Computing Machinery. That's what computers were called back in the day. They were <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's funny, my son just recently got a degree in computer science um, from the University of Washington last year, and he was talking about ACM, and I said, I can't believe it's still there. So and ACM is a conference that happens once a year, I believe, in a city where anyone who didn't get a job already – shows up and you give out you hand out your resumes and you interview it's a quick interview and then there is a follow-on interview and so you know you earlier mentioned that i'm one of those people you're very uh, perceptive by the way you figured out i'm one of those people that believes that everything happens for a reason and it happens for the best Mm -hmm. um and as i was interviewing you know these are five minute quick speed interviews This company just caught my attention, and I went and spoke with them. They were a startup company. You know, there were not that many people lined up to speak to them because, remember, in 1983, startup companies didn't have the reputation they have today. There were no stock options, and there were no millionaires happening everywhere from startup companies. And so, uh, sorry, 1985. 83 I came, 85 I graduated. And the reason it only took me two years, uh, Susan, is because I then recognized I could transfer credits because I already had a degree. So this is 1985, and this company was building the world's fastest supercomputer, and they were based in uh, St. Paul in Twin Cities in in Minnesota. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, And I got a job with them, and this company... Uh, they obviously, I put my heart and my soul into whatever it is that I did. Um, but I also believe that they recognized me. They recognized how hard I worked, and the work that I produced was always, always world class. i put I really made an effort to do a really good job, and I learned fast. And I uh, I produced beyond what they were expecting, and they then went ahead to do my labor certification and to get me a green card so I could continue to work for them because that visa only lasts one year. But within that time frame, they recognized that I was someone they wanted to work there for a very long time. Of course, at that time, they had no idea that in four years – they were going to go out of business
3: Mm.
2: because the parent company was going to go bankrupt um and so i worked there for four years and you know susan if that company was in business i think i would have been working for them for the rest of my life because i felt so indebted to them
1: wow that's interesting because you know as we know, you ended up with a, a very, very good company that, you know, everyone knows, IBM. Um, yeah. And I would imagine that that your time there was um, pivotal in, in um, shaping your qualities as a leader. I want to ask you a question. You know, I, I believe that we can often... Be successful, and um, appearances on the outside can be one of confidence and, um, you know, hard work. And how was your self-esteem at that time? Did it match your success? Um, When I started? Yes, when you were with ETA Systems and, you know, that, that they saw that in you and they wanted you there. Did you believe in yourself as much as they did, I guess I'm asking?
2: You know, that is a really good question. Um, I must have, but I didn't know that. Um, I have studied and reflected upon my life a lot. Um, At that time, I would have just called myself dedicated, committed, hardworking, Mm -hmm. very collaborative. I I got along very, very well with everyone, And, and so people wanted me on their teams. Um, but did I even think about self-esteem at that time? Most likely not.
1: Did you, um, when I, I, I say this often on the show that there's a difference between confidence and self-esteem, right? So, so as a confident person, you can go out and perform, um, and bring results, you need confidence to do that but again the self esteem is that belief that you're worthy
2: yes yes and so today you know today this is what i talk about when when i speak
3: mm-hmm.
2: to me that what i the word empowerment is that self belief it's that self self Esteem. Yes. I don't use the word esteem. I believe uh, I use the word self-belief. Okay. And um, at that time, I obviously had it. I obviously had confidence in my ability to perform my work because I did a very good job at it. But I never really stopped and reflected about it. Mm. And the more I reflect upon my life experiences. The more I consciously take on stretch assignments, the more I prove to myself that I don't have to know it all. I know I can learn it. Mm, I love that. I love- right? Yes, and, and yes. That's when, and all that for me was more of a hindsight. Okay. Now and that- And I can, I would love to give an example of the stark understanding of that. Uh, during my career at IBM, if your audience would benefit from it, you know
1: what? I would love that. And we're going to take a, a very quick break. And when we come back, let's let's get right into that. Okay. We'll be right back.
0: This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a Women's Lifestyle Conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to an- announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more. All available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhilsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at Group.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to Group.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y-Group.com or call... 610-238-6636. Since 1858,
1: Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and Womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Shalmina Abji. Shalmina, again, is the um, a former IBM vice president, a current empowerment speaker, and board member for Girl Up, United Nations Foundation, and Young Women Empowered. Um, Shalmina, I'd love for you to talk about an experience that you had at IBM, and um, you know how that kind of plays into what we were discussing about self-esteem.
2: Yes, uh, thank you. So, in 1997, Susan, I was running an 880 million dollar business and i was responsible for selling ibm's hardware uh, what we call in the pacific northwest and northern california so it's the states of washington oregon idaho montana utah alaska and northern california Um, i had been in the hardware business as an individual contributor as a first line sales manager as a second line sales manager and i knew this business inside out and so while i was running a larger business I wasn't necessarily growing more competencies. And so one afternoon, I was having lunch with one of my mentors, and it's really important for all of you that are listening on this phone call to have mentors and to have sponsors, because they will provide a perspective that you may not have thought about yourself. And we were just having a conversation, it was a, just an informal lunch and a conversation about the shifting landscape of the technology industry and how the technology industry was moving away from being hardware-dominated to being software and services-dominated. And here, you know, I was spending my time in the hardware business. And so... Not only was the market shifting, IBM was also shifting its business model, moving away. It was shrinking, not moving away. I shouldn't say moving away. It's still in the hardware business. It will always be in the hardware business. But the hardware business was shrinking and the software and services business was growing. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation we had is you know, I do this and I do this very well. I make my numbers every quarter. I get a nice commission check. I'm, you know, one of the top perform- forming teams, all is great, and I really understand this business. People come to me to talk about it. I was an expert at this. But that's no way to grow. Mm. When you become an expert at something, that's no way to grow. And I would not have remained relevant as that piece of IBM's business started to shrink because the opportunities for growth and promotion are always in an area of growth, business growth and so at that time we said you know perhaps I should try and run a services or a software business and one of the businesses where there was an opening for a second-line sales manager so you know you do have to remember that at IBM once you're at a certain level you move at that level regardless of which business you move into so I would move in at the second-line sales manager and I decided to go into a services business. And Susan, the first week, I mean, I still remember the first conference call where my team, now remember, I have managers, sales managers reporting to me, and they have the salespeople reporting to them. And we were having a pipeline discussion of the largest opportunities that we had to close in that quarter. I couldn't even understand 70% of the language that they were using. So where was I even, forget about adding value, how was I even going to ask relevant questions? Mm, I wow. could not understand what they were saying. Yeah. They might as well have been speaking in a foreign language. <laughs> and at that time, you know, luckily for me, it was a conference call because now I had all the states west of the Mississippi, so mm-hmm. there's people from dialing in from everywhere, so no one could really see me sweating bullets. And I'm telling myself, which part of you was stupid enough to leave a job that you were so good at and take a job where you don't even understand what they're talking about, and you're (laughs) supposed to be leading this business?
1: Well, and so what did you do? So how did that
2: turn out? So what does Shalmina do? She's stubborn. She's determined. She figures (laughs) way right, yeah and and so of course I figured out a way I I talked to people I talked to our clients I talked to the team and I went in and I, I told them I said listen I don't understand this business you are the subject matter expert I want you to work with me because I understand clients I understand deal structuring I understand how to win with clients And so let us work together and become greater. Mm. And that's what we did. I never became a subject matter expert. I just took the people that knew what they were doing. But what I knew was to earn the trust and confidence of our clients. What I knew was how to close deals, how to structure win-win deals. Because all that I had done, it doesn't matter that it's a different part of a business.
1: Well, And, and what you were not afraid to do... Um, Shalmina, was to say, I don't understand, and I don't know, right? Right? That's something that I think um, holds people back often. They just will pretend when they don't know something, and that's the worst thing to do. I never do that. No. I
2: I don't. I will never make things up. I don't believe in faking until you make it, because the word fake just makes me think that I'm not good enough I have to fake it that yeah. it doesn't work like that for me
3: yeah
2: um, I go in and I and I here's how it works Susan. and Bec- now that I work with young girls I think the reason an individual gets the confidence to admit I don't know this is when that person is confident in what they do know
3: mm. in yes. what their
2: strengths are yes and yes. So, so then it becomes easy to say I don't know this, but let me tell you what I can bring to the table.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah, that's a right? great point. Yes, yes. I think you're right. It, when you know your strengths, um, you're more willing to, to share um, your weaknesses. What you don't know. That's right. That's right. Yep. It's not a weakness. Just because no. I don't know something,
2: that doesn't make me weak. What makes me weak is if I'm not willing to admit and get the subject matter expert. That's what makes me weak.
1: Right. Yes. You know, we were discussing earlier the difference between confidence and self-esteem, and I think that there's also a huge difference between fear and anxiety. And I wanted to ask you, you know, what, what thoughts give you anxiety? You know, I'm so
2: glad you're asking me this question, Susan, because at this stage in my life, I have no anxiety. I have no fear, and even though there is a difference in those two. The reason being that my life experiences have taught me. Earlier we discussed about how scared I was when I was in India, and then I recognized that all that fear was really in my mind. When I walk outside, nobody is going to rape me. Nobody is going to hurt me. It's just what I am thinking. And then as my life unfolded, everything that seemed like a challenge everything that just stopped me in my tracks and I'd say oh shit sorry it's okay um i spoke a word that mm. might not be kosher
3: right. what <laughs> just
2: happened what just happened how could this be happening to me i didn't do anything to deserve this and these were all these were mostly personal growth stories but then as I always do, I get out of the situation. I learn something from the situation. And then when I look back, I realize that the universe was really giving me a chance to grow. It was pushing my limits. It was challenging me. It was giving me an opportunity to become what I was capable of becoming. And so, you know, when you accept what you don't know, then it becomes an adventure. When you don't accept that, it becomes anxiety or fear Hmm. and so when I go into a situation where I don't know the desired outcome I'm actually excited about it Mm. because I know that it's going to build me in some way and make me better than I was prior to that
1: experience that is that's one of the wisest things I've ever heard (laughs) I just love that that you, you know when you when you accept it it's an adventure when you don't it becomes anxiety that's just yeah. such a very um wonderful outlook to have i think and 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 a reminder when when one starts to feel anxious about change or or something in their life that um you know appears to be difficult
3: yes
2: yes yeah. and it's there because because the universe wants you to grow mm. uh, going back to what you said earlier things happen for a reason and when we become victims of what is happening, then we don't rise up to the challenge. But when we look at the situation and say, This is a difficult situation, let me see what I can learn from it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's see how good I can be at, at you know, tackling this or figuring this out.
2: Exactly. Yep. And and then I think what got me to that self belief as you were alluding to earlier is you've got to reflect upon these things you know i work with so many women who do such incredible work and yet they never celebrate themselves they just go from accomplishing one task to another task they will celebrate their spouse their children their community everyone but they don't stop to recognize themselves and to celebrate themselves and say Oh, my God, this is how far I have come. Because when we stop to do that, we start building our self-belief. We start recognizing that, you know, when I started that, I didn't think I could do it. But look at me. Look at this. I figured it out. And we need to stop and recognize that. And that's how we build. We consciously build our self-confidence, our self-esteem.
1: Mm, Very true. Very true. Um, I want to ask you about a a time in your life that was a great challenge for you, and that was uh, becoming a single mother when your children were very young. Uh, You have a daughter and a son, and uh, your daughter was four and your son was two. T- what t- talk about what helped you get through that time in your life? That that could you know I'm sure was scary a scary time.
2: That was the most difficult time of my life. I went on vacation for three weeks. I came back, and and uh, my and um, unexpectedly my marriage broke, um, and so my ex husband, uh, who at that time was not only a great father in helping with everything around the house, with the children, you know, I, at that time, was a first-line sales manager running a $120 million business, had nine people reporting to me, so I already had a a very challenging and exciting career, and now I found myself with uh, my two kids, four and two. Um, You know, I'd have to wake up in the morning, um, get them ready, take them to daycare, uh, go to work, come home in the evening, pick them up, uh, feed them, bath them, (laughs) read Mm. stories to them, um, uh, put them to, to sleep. And not only that work, but it was my state of mind. I felt rejected. I felt betrayed. I just felt terrible about what had happened and so i carried this terrible energy with me and this angry energy with me because i was angry with everything that had happened Mm. um and and so now we're going to get a little bit into uh soul searching and a little we 're going to touch on on uh, a spiritual side a little bit uh, you know, Susan, my whole life, regardless of how it was i was I was just a happy go lucky person it didn't matter what i had it didn't matter what challenges I had, and so being this angry person was an abnormal state for me. Mm. It was very, very difficult i was I, I was not myself. I didn't feel good. I just didn't. Uh, it was just terrible. It was just terrible. And um, I pray a lot. I pray a lot. I read a lot of books. Uh, that's what I do. And what made it worse is because I, I, at that time, I wanted to protect my children. My my biggest instinct was to provide them with stability and security. And so I I wouldn't show. I wouldn't cry in front of them. I, I showed strength in front of them. Um, and that was very, very hard because because I wasn't strong. I wasn't feeling strong. Um, I spent a lot of alone time, a lot of time in silence, a lot of time questioning, a lot of time learning about karma, a lot of time learning about the meaning of life. Why do things happen? And in this case, I... I told myself, I did did not deserve this. I have done nothing to deserve this. Why is this happening to me? And so um, I wish I could tell you that, you know, in a week or two or three, I bounced back. I didn't. It took me almost 12 to 15 months of intense praying, intense searching, intense reading to come to accept what had happened, and this is why I talk a lot about acceptance and non-acceptance. Mm. When I just accepted what had happened, something shifted because there was no going back. It had happened. I had to accept it. I had to look at things the way they were, not the way I wished they were. and And that was the starting point. Um, And then I also started taking a little bit of time for myself. I started meditating. I started doing yoga. I started filling myself up with hikes in the wood. Um, and, And eventually, I came out of that experience invincible, invincible. There is nothing, nothing that can happen to me that I cannot take on and i cried when i read eleanor roosevelt's quote which i hadn't read before and and she and i'm i'm just going to you know i'm paraphrasing because i don't have that quote in front of me mm-hmm. and she says when when you have faced fear you look when you have looked fear in its face recognize that and tell yourself if i could do this i'm ready to take on whatever comes next and that feeling of invincible that feeling that i can do this i also learned how to prioritize how to balance my life how to truly understand what's important where to focus my attention to be in the present to be in the moment i studied a lot from Stephen Covis, actually was dwight eisenhower's principle of time management um, and then Stephen Covey wrote about it in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People on what's important. My kids were my big rocks. That's what he refers to. Every decision I made was centered around the well-being of my children. And I, it just it transformed me as an individual. And today, Susan, I am so grateful for that experience because I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be who I am if that had not happened. And had I not gotten over that, I would still be feeling sorry for myself.
1: Mm. So you found the why of that experience.
2: It was to make me who I was capable of becoming.
1: Mm, right.
2: You know, we talk about realizing one's maximum potential. It comes; These challenges come to you from many angles. Don't shy away.
1: Take them on.
2: overcome them, and then go look for bigger challenges.
1: Yes. Well, I'm going to give you um, clearly that... focus and on your children and your the love of your children and that being your driving force um, has worked. I just want to mention you know your daughter Sophia graduated from Yale and works as an env- environmental analyst and and Samir, twenty two graduated from the University of Washington and works as a software developer at Microsoft. Yes. Um, yes. you must be very proud.
2: I am very yeah. proud. <laughs> you know, you know uh, Susan, they are the best, I mean, as as you know um however they, they they are also the reason for my next chapter of my life you know when sophia was graduating from yale in 2014 i cried and i cried the, the tears of joy and the tears of accomplishment um the, the really this i felt this this burden by the universe Because you heard my story. Nowhere in my story could I have imagined the life that I was living. Mm. Nowhere in my story had I planned to live this life. The universe kept challenging me and pushing me. And all I did was just make the most of what was given to me. And here I was sitting, I could retire I had made enough money, my kids were working and I I now want to share my insights. I now want to to tell my story and I now want to help accelerate the success of other young girls and and women because my path was not a straight path. But there was so much I didn't know and I now want to share with people what I know now, so they can live a life not full of anxiety, but full of hope. They can live a life not being a victim of their circumstance, but becoming a victor of their circumstance, to really, really make the most of this beautiful world that we live in. And so my kids inspired me to also give back. And 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 the universe has been so kind that all I want to do now is is just accelerate the success of other girls and women because I am successful beyond my wildest
1: dream. Mm. Let's talk about that um, for for a minute now. You know, women's empowerment and and the work that you're doing. And um, the, the first question I want to ask you is how do you envision the world with more women leading and girls believing in themselves?
2: It, it's, I wish I could even describe how much better it would be because it would be phenomenal. I work with so many girls and so many women who have so much to contribute, who are so awesome, but they somehow don't want to step up to that awesomeness. And that is what I consider to be my job, is to bring on that awesomeness, full on. Be and shine in your brightest light because they think differently. They are able to compartmentalize. They are able to be a mother and a daughter and a sister and an executive and a friend. They can be silly. They can be intellectual. Uh, They're just so amazing. And, and, And I want that amazing to be part of this world that we live in. And they also, also want to give back. They want to make this world a better place. So when these women are in leadership positions, they are going to make this world a better place. We just have to get them to believe in themselves, to be optimistic, to not be distracted by the noise, the amount of noise we have in this world coming to us 24 by 7 on social media, on TV and and you know I I appreciate the media for all the good that it does but I also think that they sensationalize things and make it make people feel like uh, everything is so dour and it's so miserable yes,
3: and, yes. And,
2: and and that is not doing a service to any one of our are people actually, not just women and girls, people of diversity, there is a large population not participating in contributing to the betterment of this world. And when they start participating, this world is going, I cannot even begin to describe how beautiful it's going to be.
1: Mm, you're so right. I think, you know, what you just described, um, it affects the psyche of people, men and women. The, the, the bombardment of the negative. And, uh, you know, I just will always choose to believe there, there's more good than bad and the good is just not highlighted. Um, yes. You know, yes. we have yes. to believe that. So then, you know, we just have a couple minutes left. I want to ask you the why of this. So with, you know, in a world where we've come so, so far for opportunities for women and girls, we really have. Where do you still see the barriers, if any? And, and perhaps you don't, you know, perhaps it just is that lack of self-belief, but why is it still there? Is it because things have been a certain way for so many years? You know, what is it, what is your personal opinion about the barriers that exist today today? Uh, that, that continues to hold women back from from stepping out and speaking up. Right. And, and, yep. and
2: so I'm going to give you, and this is my personal perspective. Okay. Okay. I can only give you my personal per- perspective. Mm-hmm. Susan, no one in corporate America wakes up in the morning and says, how do I keep women away? How do I keep people of diversity away from being leaders? I have been helped by men, women, everyone. And the thing is, but I wanted to take on the challenge. I wanted, I reached out, I would ask for help. And so what I tell women is, yes, we have a long way to go, but please recognize how far we have come. And then when you move forward, don't move in the spirit of fighting and barriers, move in the spirit of opportunities and hope. Mm, because yes. you use the word psyche, I use the word energy. Okay. You see, when you show up in every interaction you have with anyone, you show up with the energy or with your psyche. And if I come in with a psyche of the world is terrible and there are too many barriers, well, guess what? I'm going to find the world to be terrible and there will be too many barriers if I come in with the energy of how far we have come and that there is yes there is work to do and I am going to move forward with hope and confidence and optimism those are the people that make things happen don't focus on the barrier focus on making yourself everything you are capable of becoming
1: that's because you only can Oh, I'm so sorry, Shalmina. That's just a beautiful way to end the show, and and we do have to go. That's uh, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: You're so welcome. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: Okay, that's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Have a great week.